when you don't make the changes, you're trying to do things the old way, but you're trying to do more, right? Trying to do more with what you have and do it in the same way. And that just wears you down and wears you out. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tricentral's 1% Better podcast. Our mission is to make a positive impact on the life of anyone who interacts with Tricentral. Over the past 20 years, we are humbled to have helped some of the most successful brands and organizations from around the world and are excited to share incredible stories of improvement directly from our clients, partners, and employees. Our goal is that every podcast provides insights and learnings that lead to a mindset of growth, continuous improvement, and lasting value, both at a personal and professional level. 1% at a time as small changes can lead to truly transformative results. Thanks for listening to 1% Better and be sure to hit that like button. Hello, I'm Craig Thielen and this is the 1% Better podcast. Today I'm speaking with Carrie Hoffman and she's calling in from the great state of Wisconsin. Carrie is the CEO of Hoffman Digital, an ecosystem of companies igniting the human experience at work. I'm sure we're going to hear more about what that means. This includes being an executive coach at Focal Point Business Coaching and co-founder and principal at Get Digital Velocity. In addition, she is the author of Brilliant Breakthroughs for Small Business. Prior to that, Carrie spent 30 plus years in three corporations as an entrepreneur and business transformer. She worked in a variety of leadership roles, including IT, operations, supply chain, sales. Carrie's previous employers include Aurora Healthcare, Johnson & Johnson, and Johnson Controls. Carrie and I met over 10 years ago on an engagement helping Johnson Controls transform through agility, and we've been working together ever since. Welcome to 1% Better, Carrie. Thank you, Craig. I'm happy to be here. I thought we would kick this thing off. My first memory of you or one of my first interactions, you were going through and trying to drive some change in a global IT organization at Johnson Controls and trying to get this notion of agility and, and moving faster and going faster. And you had a workshop with your leadership team. And I attended that workshop and I think we contributed to it. And one of the things that you said right out of the gates is that as a global team, and I think you guys were doing business in 60 plus countries. You right. <laughs> made this you made this statement saying we need to be thinking differently. No longer can we be thinking about doing things 5% better, 10% better, even 20% better. We need to do things 20 times better. We need to do things 30 times better. And that was a very, very bold statement. I will tell you, I've worked with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of large corporations, and the idea of getting 5 or 10% better they would take it every day of the week, right? And so mm -hmm. you, were, you were very bold. So tell us a little bit about that. I think it's going to give us a lot of clues to your background and, and why you did that. Tell us about that. Yeah, so that, that was a fun workshop. The theme of the workshop actually was specifically how can we go 10 times faster than we do today? And there's various reasons for that, and I'll get to that in a minute. And we're in this workshop and we're, we're brainstorming the first morning and everyone's going at it and coming up with some nice ideas. But all it was doing was the outcome of those would be two times faster. And I'm like, guys, I didn't say two times faster. I said 10 times faster. So forget that. How do we go 20 times faster, 30 times faster, even 50 times faster? Okay, let's brainstorm on how to go 50% faster. And there was this aha in the room. One of my leaders says, well, we would have to do something completely different. I'm like, yes, that's right. <laughs> we would have to do something completely different. 
So it was a really fun meeting because we kind of nixed it right in the morning, right? Oh, we're just coming up with these incremental ideas and we need we needed to move much faster. And the reason for that was as an IT organization, we were very traditional. We didn't have a good reputation. There were just so many things, so many things about it. But but the main outcome of all of the challenges that we were having as an IT organization was we were way far behind. We could not keep up with what the business wanted. In fact, we were probably decades behind in making changes. And so we couldn't just incrementally improve. We needed to drastically improve. And that was not just true of IT. It was also true of our product organization within Mm -hmm. that, within that company which neither one of those products or IT had been invested in in 10 years. So now you have to play catch up. And it was affecting our ability to grow. It was affecting the reputation we had with our customers, both IT's customers and the company's customers. And we had a new president come in who really wanted to see significant change. So that was the context of the whole thing. If I remember right, I think you had recently before that and probably multiple times made a trip to Asia. And you had seen some things over there with some of your customers, partners, et cetera. And I think that had some significant influence to bringing that back saying, we need to think differently, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. That that had a huge impact. In fact, I actually lived in Asia for three years. I lived in Singapore and it was when I worked for Johnson & Johnson and I was responsible for leading all of IT for the consumer division in Asia Pacific. So I had teams in 14 countries. We did business in more than 14 countries in Asia. And when I was there, that was 2008 to 2010, right? So that was during a big downturn. But in Asia, like our growth just went in half. So we, were, we had been growing 20% year over year in China. And now we were only growing by 10%. Like what a dream, right? When, mm-hmm. when the West was only growing by probably 3% prior to that downturn. And, and then they were flat or negative. So what I saw was this ability to change and transform, like change was a natural part of people's lives in Asia. And so when it came to transformation at work, it was natural. And we moved really fast. I remember when I first got there, someone said, oh, Carrie, the pace here is like much faster. So you're going to have to get used to that. And I'm like, oh, thank God. I, I was like, thank God, because I was so impatient working in the U.S., I was, I've been driving business transformation my entire career and I was very impatient. So that pace in Asia, I loved it, but I was just able to keep up with that pace. It was so much faster. So it did have a huge influence because it taught me what was possible when you remove some of the mental constraints of, of doing something different or moving faster. Right. Yeah. That's, I think that's important. So a couple of questions on that and then we'll move on. You said, you know, they, they weren't sort of getting it, right? There was, you were talking about five or 10 times and it was kind of more incremental stuff. And then you said, guys, we, we got to be thinking 50X. And then how did that help people? Like what kind of ideation or how did that help people to just allow them to kind of break all the rules? It kind of reminds me a little bit of JFK when he said, we're going to the moon by the end of right. the decade. And he, right. didn't, he didn't go to all the sort of the scientists and say, well, lay out a plan. They would have said, no, it's impossible. Um, exactly. In fact, I think that did happen. They said, no, it would take 20 or 30 years. And until you set the, the a whole new target, then it allowed them to go backwards and break sort of all the rules, norms and policies and procedures and say, 
well, what would it take? So did you see that with the team? Yeah, definitely. And it's it's just like what you said. It allows people to break some of the rules and practices. And a lot of times these rules and practices aren't really hard, fast rules and practices. It's just like the way we've been doing it for so long that it's become the acceptable way to do it. And you do. You have to break those things. You have to think differently. It's kind of like one of the things I love is lean and I love value stream right. mapping. Right. Yes, perfect. I love value stream mapping because value stream mapping makes you look at not only what are all the steps in the process, but what are those circles of things you do, right? Mm -hmm, those mm -hmm. circles of waste. And mm -hmm. where in all those process steps is there waste that you can get rid of? I was introduced to value stream mapping in my career at Johnson & Johnson. I was down in Florida with AccuView contact lenses, and we were just learning value stream mapping. And we were launching three products a year, and the president, again, a new president, wanted us to launch 15 products per year. Okay. So we did this value stream mapping of the product process, and it was 400 days or something. And in two four-hour sessions over two weeks, we went from 400 days to 80 days for the new product process. And all we did was break down these waste loops. And the biggest thing we did was bring, uh, it took cross-functional teams, right, to do this. We brought teams in earlier in the process than we had traditionally done mm -hmm. so that things got designed in up front and you didn't have all these rework loops in the product design and the product development. And that can be applied to anything, right? right. How do you bring people together cross-functionally to collaborate sooner in a process? And that's one normal thing that you can break. Get out of your silos, work cross-functionally, get input sooner. That has a huge impact on your ability to be able to transform. Yeah, and that's a great context I wanted to talk to you about. We've been working together, and I know you do a lot of work in this area called agility. Okay, mm -hmm, so right. used to be used to be just limited to agile and software. Now it's business agility and enterprise agility. And kind of what you described, it's a notion of saying, hey, from the boardroom or C-suite all the way down to all the work we do, do, do we have efficiency? Do we have waste? How do we go faster? How do we get faster feedback loops? So clearly that's been a trend over the past five or 10 years, but now we've sort of entered a new realm. We used to call it digital, but now it's digital on AI, right? And it's yep. <laughs> the speed and at which things are going. And I don't think people have caught up to what AI and generative AI and some of the more recent breakthroughs. Of course, we now have global high-speed internet and we have data. We have all sorts of things that are converging together. But this notion of agility at, a, at an enterprise level is more important than ever, right? And, and you do a lot of work in that space and we do a lot of work. Why is it important and why is it so hard? What's getting in, in organizations way? Because everyone knows we can't do things the old way. And I think right. back to your other point, another thing that's really taught us a great lesson is COVID. We basically said something was placed on us. No one asked for it. And everyone had to break the rules to figure it out and survive. And can we learn from that in this, how we change and kind of get to the speed of Asia, get to the speed of a startup in these big Fortune 500 corporations? Oh, this is a great topic, Craig. You know what? You know I'm passionate about this. So let me give some context. I firmly believe that we have exited the industrial age and we have entered the next age, right? And at first, like you said, this was the digital age. This started around the year 2000, but it really gained momentum around 2007. But it only gained momentum with digital native companies, with startup companies. 
And then slowly, since 2007, traditional companies have been trying to transform. The reason it's so difficult is because where you need to get to is completely different from where you are today, completely. But you can't jump from where you are today to that future vision. In fact, you can't even understand what that future vision is because you don't have context for it. So you end up having to take some incremental steps to get there. So my whole career, I've been pushing transformation and I can visualize where we need to go and I can visualize what that looks like and what that feels like. And it's not because I'm some genius. It's because I'm very a very curious person. So I like to find areas that are already doing it completely different and then bring a traditional organization back into doing it. So there's two kind of power principles that I work with teams on that help with this. One is the law of incremental improvement, which <laughs> speaks completely to 1% this podcast better. name. <laughs> That's right. 1% better. That's right. So the law of incremental improvement, if you think of a five-day work week and think of four weeks in a month, which it's actually more than that, right? If you change one-tenth of a percent per day, that's a half a percent per week. And people can write this down and do the math. It's 2% per month, and it's 26% per year. Imagine if you could improve 26% per year, right? Right. Right. Most organizations are looking for 1%, 2%, 5% here and there, right? Yeah, right. And you know, you know me, I'm like, I go for more than that in a year, right? So one of the projects other than, you know, Agile that we did was reduce our number of legacy applications. We had like a thousand and a $15 billion business unit. And our goal was 80% in a year. And most people would be like 25% over three years would be awesome. No, not anymore because business is moving too fast with the new technology. So you have to do it faster. And and we actually, most of my organization got to 60% in a year. And that was during an, a huge merger with another company. And one part of my organization did 90%. So it's absolutely possible, but you have to believe that it's possible. The other principle is Gleischer's formula for change, yes. which And this one's really important because this says the formula goes D times V times F has to be greater than R. What that means is your dissatisfaction with the current state times your vision for the future times some easy first steps. And that's the key has to be greater than resistance for you to be able to make the change. It's a multiplication equation. So if any one of those dissatisfaction, vision, or first step, easy first steps is missing, you cannot make the change. Right. And so I, we do a lot of work with my teams uh, and now my clients on this because you have to actually get people to recognize their dissatisfaction with the current state, which means pull it out of them. Yes. Usually we don't want to listen to it, right? Right. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so true. And I love the formula because sometimes people need that guidance or they need that structure. One way that I often talk about it, but it's 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 simple, but sometimes it doesn't always land, which is we the, for one of the first things I look for is, is what's the pain, what's the gain? And if there isn't enough pain and gain, there's not going to be enough reason. This is that even at a personal level, like Oh, People sure. can talk about diets and exercise, but if they don't have enough pain or gain to get to really change everything they're doing, they're probably not going to get through the tough days and the tough times. And 
Of course, there's studies. This is based on scientific studies that people that are literally are on their deathbed or they have some chronic disease and they still don't change. Right. Still something like 70% of people don't change. So you really need that pain or gain. Otherwise, you really don't have a shot at really changing behaviors. So I love that. That formula helps you work through that in kind of a systematic way versus an emotional right. way. Exactly. Um, so you've now had a chance to wear a lot of different hats. Mm-hmm. And so you've been in the corporate America. You went fought your way up the, the food chain and politics and corporate America. You now are a coach, so you coach other leaders. Right. You also work with many small and medium-sized companies, which is a yeah. whole different realm. Um, <laughs> Very different. And then you also have a consulting company, so you get hired to consult and be the expert, quote-unquote. So talk a little bit about those dynamics because they're very, in some ways, very different. In some right. ways, you're still caring, you're still pushing and sharing you know, insights and trying to get people to transform. But talk about those dynamics. And then should that combination, should every organization, should every leader have a coach, should every have outside thinking that really challenges them? Because sometimes you don't get that challenging thinking on the inside. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's very true. I think coaching is extremely important. I actually had been doing coaching and mentoring my entire career. There was no way to do business transformation without coaching and mentoring people along the way because it's very scary to make changes. It's very easy after someone makes a huge change for them to look back and go, gosh, I don't know why we did it that way for so long. I mean, it was so silly. It wasn't really, you know, when you break it down into these easy first steps, it's just easier. But it takes a coach to help you do that. Because there's always a fear of doing something differently. There's a, you know, whether it's the fear of failure or or the fear of success. And it helps to have a coach to help you along the way for two things, to help encourage you to get over that fear, but also to hold you accountable to actually make the changes, right? Good point. And I think it's getting harder and harder because of what, you know, we were talking about with now AI accelerating everything even further than all the technologies that have been accelerating things anyways. I mean, it's so much easier to get left behind. And so you've got to make the changes. I think one of the big things for coaching people is everyone, when you when you don't make the changes, you're trying to do things the old way, but you're trying to do more, right? Right. So you're trying to do more with what you have right. and do it in the same way. And that just wears you down and wears you out. True. And it's very easy, whether it's our personal life or our business life, it's very easy to just do what I need to do to get through the day. Right. And that is not going to help you. Uh, that that actually is going to have you fall further and further behind. Which is actually how we're wired. Genetically, neural pathway, we are wired to repeat for efficiency, for our own efficiency. Yes. Right. <laughs> yes. And it goes against the notion of change. And so that's part of the pain and the gain is we have to break those pathways. I just heard something yesterday on a podcast that said you cannot grow when you're comfortable. And I right. think that that basically says, hey, when you're you're on your pathways, you're not changing anything. You're just repeating and rinsing. And only when you're uncomfortable and you're doing something new, different, fear, uncertainty, doubt. And back to this leadership question, how you engage and you've you've been on both sides, all sides, is that what sometimes we forget is leaders have fear, uncertainty, and doubt. They haven't been through this digital age. They don't know anything right. about AI. They don't agility. They don't. They haven't had their hands on this, so they can't teach and mentor and guide and direct. Honestly, is what they're used to doing. 
And now they have to apply the change and that can be pretty scary, right? Oh yeah, it can be very scary. You're making me think of um, some personal things that I've been through in a, in a point I think it's important to make. So, you know, I've been a high performer my whole career, but that doesn't mean I didn't hit some huge bumps in the road. I hit glass ceilings twice and I was a hair away from being taken out of roles twice. Okay. Okay. So people who know me and know my career would never think that that happened to me. Right. So the, the important thing through all of those and the first time, the first time I was told, you know, this isn't working out, we're going to give you two months to fix it, or we're going to take you out of this role. Right. That was a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure, especially for someone who's always been a high performer. But the thing is, feedback is a gift. This is one of the points I want to make. Feedback is a gift. And even if it's badly given, it's still a gift. Right. And the second part of this is that small adjustments make a huge difference. Okay. Mm -hmm. So here I am, first time, we're going to take you out of this role. There were some root causes to the issue that were outside of my control. Okay. But I was reacting to this issue being very frustrated, Mm -hmm. right? And it wasn't fitting with the culture of the business unit I was with at the time. And so I had a wonderful dotted line leader who gave me feedback. And this is when I was in Asia where it's all about saving face and they don't like to give you feedback. That was part of my frustration. I knew something was wrong, but nobody would give me feedback. So I talked to her and then she recommended that I go to get a couple of the leaders, my peers, to work with me. So this is a small adjustment that may sound like a big deal because it's a fearful thing to do. So I picked two people. I picked one person who would be like, I don't see any problem with how you're doing. And I picked the other person who totally was on board to get rid of me, right? I picked those two people. I went to those two people and all I did was say, look, I'm having some challenges and I want to make improvements with how I'm fitting in and working within. Will you be willing to help me with that? That is all I did. Was that hard to do? Yeah. To, To go and sit in front of someone and say, I'm not doing well. I need help. Will you give me feedback? In one perspective to a high performing person who, oh, that was so hard to do, but really sit back and look at it. Was it really that hard to do? No. Take your your (laughs) ego out of it and it's actually pretty easy to do, right? So were these these peers, were these, um, you know, people underneath or were they above you or where were they? Well, technically, technically they were peers, but in the Asian culture, age is a big thing. And whoever's the most senior in terms of years of experience, and he happened to be a male as well, that is a big cultural thing. So I needed to not necessarily think of him as a peer. The other person I picked was a Australian male who was like, we're totally peers, right? Yeah. Well, they, it just, it's so interesting because there's a book called Culture Map. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with it? Yes. It's, <laughs> it's a, great a great book. book. And, and it's like, I think it's more relevant than ever because everyone's working on global teams. And we think in the frame of what we were raised in and brought in, even in the United States, it's a big difference between the Midwest and the South and the East and Silicon Valley. There's different ways that people interact. And it's a magnitude's different in different countries 
and like you said in Asia, they they don't give direct feedback, where they do it in very different ways. Mm-hmm. And so you have to understand that because that's like you right. know, a language, even though we might both speak English, there's norms. And so just even understanding that is an important way of connecting with people and, you know, being finding getting those breakthrough moments. I think that's a, a, a good point, Craig, because I always believe that I can learn from everyone, but how you apply that is different in different cultures. So an older male who has many more years of experience than I do, I need to treat him differently as a an Asian male than I would my peer that I want to learn from from Australia. And so it was a completely different and I understood culture, but I underestimated how important that was from a he's he's an elder in the team and I need to respect him in a different way, right? And ask for help from him in a different way. So he wasn't my peer, he was my elder. Well although he was my peer. Thanks for sharing that. I always, we always find our way in each of these episodes of the intersection between personal improvement, professional improvement, and how we tend to separate that in sort of the industrial age corporate America. Like the two don't, you know, like they can't exist. In fact, we even say work life balance. And it's like, wait a minute, why are we separating those two versus? So I love that. And almost in every case, it's those personal reflections, personal breakthroughs, and something as small but really big was you going, hey, maybe I need to change. Maybe I need to get feedback. Maybe I need to. And just that person, that was a very introspective moment for you versus, mm-hmm. no, I'm successful. I'll fight through this. I'll figure it out. I'm smart. I'll work harder. That's a big deal. And I think that's what a lot of leaders, I, I assume you're you know, coaching a lot of leaders. That's the intersection where you get some of those breakthrough moments. Yeah, for Um, sure. I mean, you can apply this to Agile as an example. Agile is completely different from Waterfall. And you cannot do hybrid Agile. There's no such thing. So it's completely different, but yet you need to take incremental steps to get there. You need to make small adjustments. But that doesn't mean mix Waterfall with Agile. That means doing Agile, but doing the basic pieces of it first before you try to go all in. Right. Right. So we, you know, you know, we flipped uh, a very large IT organization at a $15 billion business unit to Agile in about a year. The first four months, we weren't really doing it. (laughs) So it was really (laughs) about nine months. I remember (laughs) one of the first meetings I had with you and I said, well, what what are your objectives? What do you want to get done? He goes, well, I want to move 30 teams in 30 days. And I go, okay, well, we might need to talk more. (laughs) (laughs) But I like your aggressiveness. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, good stuff. You wrote a book as part of the Brilliant Breakthrough series and for small businesses. Why did you write it and what are some of the takeaways from it? Yeah, yeah. So a couple of things. The reason I wrote it, and, and it's a book series with a number of authors in each one of the volumes. So I wrote a chapter in volume three of that series and I wrote a chapter in volume five. And I wrote it because I'm so passionate about getting as many companies as possible on their path to digital. And now with the AI, like you said, we're now we're like beyond digital, right? Companies that don't transform are going to fail. And the West is moving slower than the East on this. And so I'm very passionate about getting companies moving. So the first chapter I wrote was explaining all this about digital and moving from the industrial age to the next age that we're living in now. 
the thing about it is one of the things I really hit upon in there is the need to change your mindset. That is the most important thing. And it's everything that we've been talking about, Craig, right? If you're going to break through and make these huge transformations, it's the mindset around things that is the biggest factor. So COVID is a great example. Whether you were a small company or a large company, work from home took somewhere between one day and two weeks to figure out. That's it. If we would have done that as a project, and I've asked CIOs this right in the throes of COVID in like April, May, June of 2020, how long would it have taken you to work from home if you would have done that as a project? And people were like, yeah, Years. people were like 18 months, 24 months. And most of <laughs> most people said, if I'm honest, we never would have got there. Right. Because we would have thrown up all these obstacles. So mindset's so important. When I wrote the chapter in volume five, so two years later, I wrote another chapter. I did it on mind power because our mind is so important. And I could spend hours talking about this. So what it goes back to, Craig, is what you were saying about our brains being wired in a certain way and needing to change that. 90% of our decisions, if not higher, are all based on habit throughout a day. And it's based on habit because the way our brain is wired. And the, if we can tap into the power of the human mind, we can make amazing changes. So I wrote the second chapter in volume five on the power of the human mind. So I think that's, let's, let's just dig into that for one second, because I think that that is um, something that's being talked about a lot more. We got to change our minds. Of course, in the agile world, that's talked about a lot, but I feel like it's a flippant kind of a saying so what would you say is a very practical way, because sometimes you need technique and you need structure that allows people to practice things a lot. We, we sometimes mm -hmm. show videos, backwards bicycle, knowledge does not equal understanding, right? You can know <laughs> something, but it doesn't mean that you can really do it and be it. So what are some practical steps or techniques to help people sort of get that new mindset that is required? Well, and just for the listeners, you mentioned the backwards bicycle. So I encourage yes. people to Google the backwards bicycle. Okay? Yeah, we'll put a link in our show notes. <laughs> That's an awesome lesson. I think one of the key things for the power of the human mind is staying in a state of positive emotions and thinking positively. Okay. And let me give you an example. When I work with small, medium-sized, even large customers, everybody wants more customers, right? Or they want more revenue. But the way that they think about it makes a huge difference. So if you're thinking, I don't have enough customers, our brain is so powerful, the way that it works, that our subconscious mind will go about working on how to make sure we don't have enough customers. Because right. it, it can't reason. It can only do and so our conscious the idea that you you get more of what you focus on. Yes. Yeah. So your conscious mind feeds your subconscious mind. Your conscious mind only works while you're awake. Your subconscious mind works 24 hours a day. If so I'm how constantly... do you break through that? Because that's a you have to thing. flip it. You have to flip it to visualizing and saying, "I will have more customers." Right. So by this date, I'm going to have more customers. Successful people think about what they want. And unsuccessful people think about what they don't have. It's all based on the power of the human mind. So you flip it. And you practice it. Every and day. you practice it every right. day. Okay. Every I day. love it. That's great. <laughs> well, we're, we're sort of at the end of our time here. Time always flies on 1% better because we have people that are super passionate about improvement like you are. So last question, 
that I ask each guest is looking back at your career, if you were uh, sitting down with a, a, a grandchild or an 18-year-old version of you, or you're keynoting at a graduation event, what's one piece of a 1% better advice that you wish you knew or that you would want to pass on? Oh, wow. That's a great question. I would, oh, it's so hard to do one. I have two in mind. All right, so I'm I'm breaking your rule. I'm doing two. (laughs) So the first one would be to always take on side projects, like extra things. Be the person who volunteers to do something extra because you you end up, and it can be really simple things, but people really notice you for that. The second thing would be that feedback is a gift and small adjustments make a huge difference. It's probably the most important one. I love it. Well, you got three in, but that's, um, you know, when you want to do 20 times better, 30 times better than you're following your own advice. So, well, thank you so much, Carrie. It's been a real pleasure. Look forward to uh, maybe future episodes with you. That sounds good. Thanks for having me, Craig. Thanks for listening to the 1% Better Podcast. We hope you found it insightful and useful for your improvement journey. As always, you can access podcast transcripts and links to reference material at tricentialcom forward podcast. If you would like to be a guest on 1% Better, you can do it on the same site. And if you enjoyed today's podcast, please like, share, or rate our podcast. Until the next episode, here's to getting 1% better every day.